Hello, welcome to West Indies on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. My name is Mashal St. Patrick here, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And with me as ever is Santoki Nagilendran, the other half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Today on West Indies on 99.94, we're going to be talking about the future of West Indies cricket. Santoki, take it away. Yeah, this is a massive topic which we're going to try and address in this episode. The future of West Indies cricket. Obviously, at the moment, with West Indies having crashed out of the T20 World Cup and most probably having to qualify for the ODI World Cup next year with qualifiers set to be held in Zimbabwe. A lot of fans and stakeholders in the region are asking, what's gone wrong with West Indies cricket? Where do we sort of go from here? Not even in the next year or two, long-term, how are we developing players? Is the future bright for West Indies cricket? Can we change our fortunes in international cricket to try and claim back the glory of what we had 20, 30 years ago in the game? Now, we've spoken on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast to various stakeholders in Cricket West Indies, so we kind of have ideas about what the immediate short-term vision is and what their hopeful long-term vision is. So we're sort of going to analyse and give our own opinions on sort of what's needed to improve the fortunes of West Indies cricket, where we've gone wrong over the past two years, and just sort of generally have a discussion about West Indies cricket on the whole. Now, I think the first point we need to touch on, Michelle, you um, tweeted this on social media, is a lot of fans outside of the region will think cricket West Indies are an omnipotent force that control all of the island and nations and development of cricketers across the region. So they're solely to blame. However, as you rightly pointed out, there's territorial franchise boards within the region. So Guyana will have a separate one. Trinidad and Tobago will have a separate one. And essentially, they're responsible for the development of young talent within their nation. Now, you rightly pointed out, there's not been that much accountability for these territorial franchises. You just want to sort of elaborate on what the points you made on social media about that. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think, I think first things first, where, where I kind of want to start is, is that as you, as you effectively highlight and uh, extrapolate there, Santoki, cricket, when people say Cricket West Indies need to do X or Cricket West Indies are to blame for the state of West Indies cricket, and don't get me wrong, there is truth in, in, in some of that. But I've, I've, just, I've long believed or held a view that many West Indian fans, and to be fair, cricket fans from out, like, who don't follow the West Indies, but, I'm sorry, cricket fans who like the West Indies but don't follow it intrinsically, I don't think they understand how cricket is run in the Caribbean. So when, for example, we say the ECB, we have a better understanding of the ECB runs English cricket. They, they, um, they anoint from on high how things are going to run, how the county structure is going to run. They were responsible for the implementation of the 100, etc. There are pathways that each county follows with regards to um, how the game should be played in this, con- in, in, uh, in this country, right? Or in the UK, I should say. Now, when you look at the uh, Cricket West Indies, there is not one homogeneous sorry, one or two individuals who basically say this is what's going to happen. Possibly under Dave Cameron's leadership, you could say that he tried to run it like a fiefdom where effectively it was, he says from on high what's going to happen and everyone has to try and listen to him. But cricket doesn't run like that in the Caribbean. 
We have a, an assortment of territories, primarily Guyana, Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, the Leeward Islands, the Windward Islands. Let's just take those six. Each of those territories um, have two directors on the Cricket West Indies board. And I think there's then an additional four independent directors. And then you have the president and so on and so forth. So already, just from that, without even getting into, I'm not even going to go wider than that. Just from that notion, you can't say that cricket, when you say cricket West Indies, you can't mean one person. What you have to say is, it is the president and then an assortment of directors who are responsible for how cricket is run within their particular region. So, for example, in Jamaica, Billy Billy Evans, Heaven Evans, sorry, Billy Evans is the director of the JCA or the CEO, effectively, of the JCA. Him and another individual go as directors to Cricket West Indies. Now, let's say, hypothetically, Johnny Grave as CEO and Ricky Skerritt as president of Cricket West Indies, along with the other directors, are in agreement that XYZ needs to happen in West Indies cricket. This is where everything falls down in West Indies cricket. You can have the greatest ideas in the world as a president of Cricket West Indies and run on a mandate of change and what you're going to do. But if those directors, when they go back to their own individual territories, don't do anything, there is effectively nothing that can happen in West Indies cricket because the whole system is beholden to what happens within each territory. I'm, I'm going to go, uh, there's more for me to say, Santoki, but before I go into that, I'm going to go to you because I'm going to use Guyana as an example because we can even go deeper than what I'm mm. explaining, right? So you have two directors for Guyana. Cool. But when those two directors go back to Guyana, they have the following options. Do we, A, try and try and adhere to and follow the kind of ideas and mandate from Cricket West Indies that we should try to strive to do X, Y, Z in our territory. We should strive to get government support from within Guyana to um, ensure that X, Y, Z gets done. Or do we do our own thing? Because at the end of the day, they, they can take the attitude of no one's got oversight of what we do. No one can tell us exactly what we have to do within our territory. And then here's, and then here's the, here's a, uh, the, the, the kind of sweetener here. Even within Guyana, there can be inter-county divisions over what is being dictated from the GCB. So a man in a man in Demerara or a man in Burbese might say, well, I don't want to do it that way. In our county, we want to do X, Y, Z. So it, it breaks down on in so many different layers and levels, Santoki, that I think people first and foremost just have to understand that quick fix ideas about what needs to happen in West Indies cricket don't apply in the context of Cricket West Indies because there isn't, it's not a joined up system that can allow for quick fix ideas. Yeah, 100%. I think, as you rightly said, it's not a linear sort of, as you as you alluded to with England, there's sort of like a linear pathway and sort of a staging tech. In West Indies, you'd argue that it's almost like a tangled web to try and develop players just because of the many strands. And I'm glad you brought up the differences within a country. So obviously, I'll use Guyana as an obvious example You've got the Burbese Cricket Board, the Demerara, the Essequibo. If you if you happen to be born in Burbese, your chances at the moment of development are going to be higher than that if you're from Georgetown because Burbese Cricket Board gets more funding just because of the, by the luck of the draw, there's more diaspora from Burbese who are giving back financially to Burbese Cricket. 
So if you take the Super 50 currently going on, eight of the squad are from Burbies County, whether that be Shimon Hetmeyer, Romario Shepard, Gouda Keshmoti. They've all come through a more structured development system in Burbies because of that additional funding, which has come from private stakeholders who don't have mm-hmm. any affiliation to Quicker West Indies. It's not sort of funding. It's just private donations. For instance, last year, I think they got Curtly Ambrose to come and give a fast bowling clinic. And that was exclusive to Burbies. So even within a country, there are divisions depending on sort of the financial support a county gets and sort of it, at the moment, if you're a young guy in East Cricket, as I said, if you're born in Georgetown, you're probably at a disadvantage as someone who's born in Burbies just because of the luck of the draw in terms of the resources and facilities in the different counties. So so it is very complicated. And it goes to a national level where the guy in the cricket board are trying to unify these inter-county boards and provide sort of structured development. And it can be a question mark as to whether they follow directives on Cricket West Indies, whether they follow their own directive. There's not sort of, there's not an overall sort of, how would an overall flow chart? If you were to do a flow chart, it's not an overall logical one. It sort of just goes off in different directions. So in terms of developing a young player, trying to get that pathway in place is very, very difficult just because of the political and geographical nature of the West Indies, which is unique to anywhere else in the world. Yeah, mo- most definitely. And I think um, at this juncture, I kind of want to refer to something that we did tweet about. And again, just b- before I go there, let me just set a bit of context and a bit of history. in. The last how many years now? In the last 15 years in West Indies cricket, there have been four governance reviews because successive West, uh, cricket West Indian boards have recognised and some forward-thinking individuals have recognised that governance is a problem with cricket West Indies. So arguably what I'm trying to argue here is fundamentally nothing can improve in West Indies cricket well, there's a whole heap of things that prevent it. But first things first, think about any company and think about any business, any any kind of global conglomerate, right? Nothing is effective without good governance of that particular business, right? And in Cricket West Indies, governance is flawed. And multiple independent reports have said this over and over again. As far back as 2007, the, the Patterson report clearly outlined that there were structural and uh, re sorry there were major structural issues in West Indies cricket there were major governance issues in West Indies cricket and it recommended effectively you've got to scrap everything and start again you need independent directors this this system of two directors from each territory needs to go because it's not working that was now 15 years ago Since then, we've had the Wilkin report. We've had the Lucky report. We've had Caracom even come together and recommend disband Cricket West Indies and start it up as a different kind of entity with a different governance structure. And then when Ricky Skerritt took over from, sorry, when Skerritt and Shallow took over from uh, Cameron and his his, uh, uh, cronies, one of the first things they did in 2020, just as the pandemic was hitting, they commissioned, um, um, the name escapes me now, oh my gosh, the... I'll come back to me in a minute, but they commissioned another report and they, they, they commissioned another report, another independent report. And they said the Webby report, sorry, the Webby, the Webby governance review. And it was an independent report. Now I'm just going to read to you, Santoki, two of the first major sections within that report. This is literally on like page one and two. It said the following, the report notes that the weak structures of the territorial boards as the shareholders of Cricket West Indies contribute to the dysfunction found across Cricket West Indies. 
Each board has its own structure and management practices and operates without central oversight from Cricket West Indies. It is highly undesirable that this continue. The recommendation is for a comprehensive review by Cricket West Indies of the governance structures of the territorial boards and reform to meet best governance practices and to establish as much uniformity as reasonably possible. We're two years on from that, Santoki, and we're no further ahead. And I'm not saying that as a dig to Skerritt, Johnny Grave, etc. I'm saying that to more speak to the resistance to change from within Cricket West Indies. Because let's be honest, Santoki, money after mech, and people are making money. People are making money. Effectively, what we what we would be asking people within Cricket West Indies to do, it would be like turkeys voting for Christmas, right? It'd be mm. effectively we're saying to them, lose your jobs. Lose your jobs, lose your sway, lose your patronage for the greater good of Cricket West Indies. And what I'm trying to say, Santok, is I don't think they want to. I don't mm. think they actually want to because it's too much of a good thing. Can you imagine GCB, JCA, TTCB, BCA, LICB, um, WICB, and that means Windward Islands Cricket, uh, turning around the game? Yeah we should reduce the number of directors from our territories on Cricket West Indies and it should really become a, a wholly independent board because that's the best governance if we're going to try and have a uniformity in West Indies cricket. It's not happening, Santoki. And I say that with a pained sense and a pained expression because until that happens, any level of improvement you want in Cricket West Indies is marginal, marginal gains at the very, very Best. And I'm going to hand to you now, Santoki, and I'll say this to hand back to you. Recently, I read that Guyana, uh, the GCB, want to establish academies throughout, mm. throughout Guyana, which is the right thing to do. But then check this, Santoki. Cricket West Indies have already established the academy now in Antigua. So let's say the GCB say, you know what, we're going to copy them. We're going to put academies now throughout, throughout Guyana, Georgetown, Burbies, etc. But then let's say the other territories do nothing. So what then? Like, the system can't work if they're not all doing the same thing. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, well, it's a lot to take on, Mash. I'm going to need a break to compose myself and get some ideas down. So we'll take a quick break and we'll join you on the other side. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. Okay, now we're back. And Mash, you rightly said, if Guyana set up academies and other territories don't follow that consistency, what would happen? Well, other than maybe having a guy in a 11 playing test cricket. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you rightly said, it, it creates a, a disproportion. And it's interesting because I was watching the Super 50 um, yesterday uh, featuring a match between Barbados and the West Indies Academy. And Ashmead Ned was playing for the West Indies Academy. He's someone who was promising for guy in Amazon Warriors in CPL, got a contract with the Leeward Islands. Um, Unfortunately, that contract was terminated and he's had to play for the West Indies Academy. Now, this launched a debate with the commentators suggesting that at the moment, franchises do not care about young players. That were those exact words. 
in terms of they want to be successful. They don't. They don't want to implement embed young players in the side because it will cost them in terms of winning tournaments and and getting that silverware. And so at the moment, if you're a young player in West Indies cricket, it's hard to get a place in a franchise 15 man squad, which is what we've said on previous and numerous episodes. Mash, do you sort of? Well, we know that we we both agree with that sentiment. Do you think? How would you sort of? Is there any way to sort of change that mentality? Because it is unique in terms of. In England, you've obviously got counties who want to win silverware, but they're all part of England. So they still have the overriding theme. We're doing what's best for the English cricket team in whatever format. In in West Indies, as we've seen with the Super 50, they'll, conti- they pick, they'll pick senior players like Asuna or Narayan to sort of ensure they win the title because there is a sense of patriotism there. Trinidad and Tobago want to win it for their nation, the Super 50 four-day um, first-class season. So there's that added dynamic of patriotism and islands and nations sort of looking out for themselves above developing players for potential West Indian benefit. Do you sort of see any way around changing that? I know Cricket West Indies have tried to change that this season by having the West Indies Academy and bringing back the combined colleges and campuses into the tournament to give young players a chance. But in terms of the actual core franchises and nations, do you ever see that mentality shift happening or is it the same as what you said about the governance review it's sort of like a dream at the moment because players, um, directors and administrators won't want to allow that to happen because it will get in the way of their own personal and sort of patriotic success. You, you've raised a lot of pertinent points there, you know. Um, so I know, so I was writing some notes down as you were saying it because there's so many things to unpick there. First things first, it's interesting to me. So the West Indies Academy team is only in that competition because obviously a central decision has been made at Cricket West Indies. Let's put the academy team in. If we're going to have an academy in Antigua, let's put an academy team in because it's good for their development, right? If West, if Cricket West Indies as an entity did not insist on West Indies Academy playing, I would venture to guess that only one or two of the current best 11 in that academy side might get a play across their franchises, right? So what we're effectively saying is young players can't get a goal if West Indies don't force through a West Indies Academy side into the regional tournaments. That's an indictment of the system. If you then look around the teams picked, I'm going to pick three teams, Jamaica, Trinidad, and Guyana, right? I am not against a man eating a food. So I'm not trying to say a man mustn't eat a food, right? But in in the Jamaica team, for example... Chadwick Walton has been selected at the age of 37. How is that helping West Indies cricket? TNT, Sinil Narayan, who doesn't really want to play for West Indies, so to speak, is being rep- is representing Trinidad at the age of 34, 35. We know he's not going to play for West Indies anytime soon. And by him being selected, which again, he's allowed to eat a food and he's allowed to play for Trinidad, but it blocks someone else in a young and up and coming player in Trinidad. How is that helping West Indies? For Guyana, this sounds harsh, but let me call his name. Leon Johnson is still captain of Guyana. Mm. Why has he not stepped aside and Shimon Hetmeyer given the captaincy? Not that I'm a Hetmeyer, I'm not saying I'm that some big Hetmeyer fan. I'm just saying for the greater good of a potential West Indies revival, why would Leon Johnson still be captaining? That doesn't make any sense. And this is, we go full circle to the point that you've raised, Santoki. The answer to all of those questions is because Jamaica, Trinidad and Guyana want to win. First and foremost, their thoughts are on what's going to help our side win. So for Guyana, the argument is Leon Johnson is still the best captain in Guyana. For Trinidad, well, it's still on the right. For Jamaica, 
they need an opener and Chadwick Walton is the best they can think of right now rather than gambling on someone like, I don't know, Leroy Lug or whoever it may be, right? So all of these territories, not all these, some of these territories are making short-sighted decisions which have no greater benefit to West Indies cricket. And then I leave, I come back to you with this then, Santoki. Can Cricket West Indies insist to these territories, you must, in the, in the same way how CPL as a private entity insists that emerging players must play at least five games in CPL for the, for the uh, and two have to be picked in the squad. Can Cricket West Indies insist on the competition rules that you must play an under 23 player in every game of, um, or two or three under 23 players in every game of super 50 or something like that. Would the territories listen? Would that get voted in? Possibly not because as you say, the territories want to win mm. fundamentally speaking. And then, it, and then since again, here's the hard one, which I hit you with now. Why do the territories want to win Santoki? And why is the betterment of West Indies, not the greater focus in these competitions? Here's the answer Santoki, or here's my theory. Because West Indies is a failed construct. <laughs> Nobody's buying into West Indies as a construct anymore. And to use an example, we've said it before in earlier episodes, Shimron Hetmeyer skipped playing in the World Cup to go play for Burbies in Intercounty. Maybe, just maybe, Santoki, the reason we're asking all these questions and why we're, why we're baffled about what's going on is because actually maybe the concept of West Indies is, if it's not dead, it's dying. And every time we ask these questions, we're getting more and more evidence that this notion of a, a greater good for West Indies is a dead notion. Those said same people you mentioned about funding Burbies, they're not funding West Indies, are they? They're funding Burbies. So there's no sense of a greater good for West Indies cricket per se. Boy, well, Mash, it, it's a 30-minute episode and 21 minutes in, you want to drop a discussion about <laughs> West Indies as, as a failed concept. But no, I think... As always, those are all completely valid, valid um, points. Um, let's let's take it from the top. I guess I would like to see, as I'm sure you would, um, Cricket West Indies vote, um, be able to direct franchises and say you have to have emerging players play a certain percentage of games. It will benefit the teams. The obvious difference is CPL being a private entity, they're a law unto themselves. They can decide essentially what the rules are and they work in collaboration with Cricket West Indies. As you rightly said, would territorial presidents vote that in, knowing that it could hinder their own chances of um, winning? Would Trinidad and Tobago vote in, oh, we have to have two emerging players play five of our games. That means we might have to drop uh, a Sun or Narayan for our matches. We're not going to win. And I think you've also got the dynamic of presidential reigns and board sort of politics in each nation is so chaotic and tumultuous essentially everyone wants to keep their spot as president or in the administration. So you can only do that by having success. Obviously, if, mm. if say for instance, Trinidad and Tobago don't defend their Super 50 title, there'll be pressure on the board. Why hasn't it happened? What's the accountability? So they're facing their own pressure to keep power. And this sort of links to, as you've alluded to across the episode, the idea of individual success versus collective, collective good. We have to change the mentality of stakeholders in the region to think beyond let's win silverware for our island nation and let's do for collective good of cricket West Indies or West Indies. But as you rightly said, this then leads to the problem of West Indies as a concept. How powerful is it these days? Obviously, we saw in the 70s and 80s, there was um, obviously sort of racial divisions and tensions um, across that period, generally um, throughout the world, which sort of galvanized and united a certain uh, set of players throughout the 70s and 80s to kind of get behind this West Indies as an idea and concept and sort of 
give give some sort of self-determination to them. We haven't seen, in the last 20 years, we've seen this concept of West Indies sort of decline. Now, Hilary Beckles, in one of his books on West Indies cricket, talked about the economics of West Indies as a region and the links to the International Monetary Fund, meaning that players or people born in the Caribbean don't have this sense of West Indian nationhood because economic times are hard. They don't, they're not able, they're not united under this concept. And as you rightly pointed out, I think Guyana is a perfect example because we're on the South American mainland. Culturally, we're, we're different to a lot of the Caribbean islands. So there is a sense, Shimon Hetmeyer personifying it, that representing Guyana is essentially more of a reward than representing West Indies or gives more fulfillment because why else would the likes of, why else would the Shimron Hetmeyer and Shafane Rutherford turn out for the Bees County or Guyana in the Super 50 and show no real effort towards playing for the West Indies? So this links to a wider question, how powerful is the West Indies as a concept? And if it is lessened in the mind of players in the region, how do you instill a sense of pride in West Indies as a concept? Is there any way to sort of bring that back. So we're going to take a quick break and when we're on the other side, we'll wrap up some final points of sort of West Indies as a, as a concept and sort of how can we change mindsets in the region? If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Okay, Mash, now I'm wary. This is obviously a 30-minute episode, so we can't go into all our points. We're going to have to do a part two at some point. But just from your personal opinion, this goes beyond cricket, sort of in terms of social and politically. How is there any way of restoring West Indies pride as a collective in the minds of people in the Caribbean? Or do you just think it's part of a bygone era and cricket is sort of trying to cling on to it, but the wave is turning against it at the moment? Santoki, I'm about to get our show cancelled. So uh, <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to be reckless in what I'm about to say. So those who are listening to this, if you're listening to this or watching this, this is the point at which you maybe cancel me, particularly if you're in the Caribbean or part of the diaspora. I would argue, Santoki, that the notion of West Indies and the notion of, let's use like that football terminology of pride in your shirt, pride in your nation. The West Indies isn't a nation. This is going to sound very difficult. I'm thinking how to phrase this. The generation that talks about what's happened to the pride in representing West Indies, largely speaking, that's the older generation. And I'm not trying to say that with, I'm not, so older generation listening, I'm not saying that with disrespect. I mean, this with full respect, but it's the older generation who saw us be good, who still cling on to this idea of, because what's the most, what's the most common thing you hear when West Indies lose, Santoki? God, these players don't play with no pride. All they care yeah. about is making money and they've got no pride and that this is a disgrace and we need players with, we've got passion to play for the West Indies who want to play test cricket. But that, I'm saying that's all dead, Santoki. That's all dead chat. That doesn't mean anything. That, that doesn't mean anything anymore. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when a player gets their first call up for West Indies, that they're not. There'll still be that sense of wow. I I got that call up. I I got that. I got the bag. I got West Indies representation. But it's not the same as getting called up to your nation, right? Look, let's look at, do you, if we go back to the summer, remember when the Barbados women were playing in the Commonwealth Games? 
Yeah. There was almost like a different ethos there for representing Barbados in the Commonwealth Games than there was for, that sounds harsh, but you get what I'm saying? Like a different kind yeah. of, is it meant a bit more for those players yeah. than playing for a collective West Indies. So I've never bought into this idea of lambasting the players and saying, don't they have pride? Because at the end of the day, and I'm about to commit sacrilege here, the West Indies is basically a franchise. It's, 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 it's a franchise team, right? Yeah. How, committed can, how committed can you be to a franchise team? And, and at any one time in the franchise team, there might be a kind of overwhelming number of men from one particular place. And mm. we don't know, we're not in the dressing rooms, but we don't know about how the different cultural dynamics play out. That it's, it's much harder to create a harmonious environment within the West Indies construct than it is for any other team. It, yeah. it, it has to be. Do you remember when, um, back when we did some stuff on Caribbean Cricket Podcast, you spoke about how uh, when Bishu was on the West Indies team and, yeah. and, and man are watching him do certain and certain prayers and cultural yeah. things and like, what's going on? <laughs> well, this is this is the thing because if we take me and you in as, as an example, culturally, obviously, people outside the region will say both these guys have a Caribbean background, but culturally, we have a lot of differences, and there's a, there have, I think a lot of people don't really understand unless you're from the region the dynamics. And I guess you can take an example if you look at the D twenty World Cup, Sri Lanka, India, their national anthems play it's rousing because these are anthems which they've grown up with singing in school. It invokes a passion. Now we've got rally around the West Indies, which is a good tune, but it's it's, <laughs> it's essentially a song written to unite this sort of West Indies cricket. It has no meaning growing up. Like you don't sing rally around the West Indies in school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the fact that if you think about it, it's actually comical. We asked the players to line up and fair credit to the players. A lot of them sing along like it's a serious tune, but it has no yeah, actual they, meaning. They're singing along because it's a big tune. It's yeah. not, because it mean, not because it means anything. The songs are fine. But no one's actually singing it to say, yeah, I'm ready to die for the nation right now. No one's shedding no tears over Rally Round the West Indies. So that in a nutshell sort of sums up the differences in West Indies and that, that, that patriotism is hard to unify. And like this World Cup... There were no Guyanese players in the squad. If you're if you're living in Guyana, you're whatever people might say, oh, you should support the West Indies, naturally you're not going to support the team as much if you haven't got people from your country in that team. It's only natural human nature. So we have that added added dynamic. And as you said, Mash, I don't know, as you said, I feel like it was something which united people in a bygone era 20, 30 years ago. And also don't forget, for players like Viv Richards and Clive Lloyd. At, at one point, West Indies was the only way you could make money and make a living. So you had to put mm. your all into West Indies as a concept. And even then, the Kerry Packer era lured all the West Indies players into that. So with now, with a Shimmer and Hetmeyer, if you've got franchise deals where you can make money, essentially, what are you, why are you going to commit to West Indies, which, as you said, is essentially an extension of a franchise in and of itself, picking the best players from a region. So I don't think we'll ever see that mentality shift in the current generation or future generations in terms of West Indies as a concept, which is a shame. A lot of fans will complain, but that's just the way the world has gone, sort of how we've sort of moved on with a society. And also in terms of cricket, how we sort of move more towards franchise cricket as we move more and more into dynamics of more and more tournaments popping up. Players are going to be less committed to this abstract notion of a West Indies cricket. So I guess to summarise, Mash, what are you saying? Next episode, is it Jamaica 99.94? Yeah? <laughs> 
<laughs> so in, in essence, in essence, because people people listen to this and they will assume that we're saying that we don't care about West Indies. Far from it. I think yeah. if anything, though, what we represent and it's it's, it's what we always said when we first created um, the, the the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. If the Caribbean Cricket Podcast was um, metaphorically created or hypothetically metaphorically created back in the 60s or 70s, we would have been global superstars because the West Indies was everybody who in within the diaspora was as far as in terms of Caribbean diaspora would have been, that would have been their thing. It was something to hold on to. Mm. Um, whereas today when we've created it, it's to connect the, the dying embers the dying embers dotted around the different kind of diaspora uh, territory saying there's, there's some people who still care. <laughs> some people who still care about it. But fundamentally, and I'm aware of time, because it's probably one of our longest episodes of so people, we will have to do a part two and looking at this uh, in a bit more detail. But what I would just say probably to end Santoki is that maybe, and this is what I'll leave for a part two discussion, West Indies as a construct meant more in the 60s, 70s and 80s because of the post-colonial meaning to it all. Um, and in term, and actually the, the pre-colonial and then post-colonial meaning of it all and trying to establish uh, different nations, trying to stand peoples, trying to establish themselves post-colonial, post-colonial um, in the post-colonial era, I should say. In 2022, what meaning does West Indies actually have in the in the global world. What does it really mean in 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 the context of 2022? But we won't get into that now, people. We'll dive into that in a part two. This is bound to have evoked some strong thoughts and feelings from people. But that's what we do on West Indies on 99.94. We're not here to always win some friends. We're here to have some challenging discussions, um, question things, and raise debate. Because these are things that need to be discussed. We can't plot a way for West Indies going forward if we don't first and foremost deconstruct where all the problems may or may not lie. But Santoki, let's let's say that's goodbye from from me for today. Is it goodbye from you? Yeah, and obviously, um, as as Mashal said, this will evoke a lot of opinions. So, firstly, like and subscribe to these videos, and then comment. We're happy to engage discussion, hear different opinions. We're not the authority on what determines West Indies identity but we've given our opinion so it'd be good to have some debates with fans and people across the region as to your own ideas and as we said we've laid the foundation we talked at the top of the show talking about the future of west indies cricket we sort of laid the foundation here as given context as to kind of behind the scenes what's going on in terms of the makeup of west indies cricket and how administration is run so i think for part two we'll look at sort of what we can do to take steps in the right direction in terms of improving west indies cricket so be be sure to stay tuned for that but as Michelle said, that's bye from him and it's bye from me and we'll catch you on the other side. Take care, guys. West Indies on 99.94 is your new home for West Indies cricket content and we'll be dropping into your podcast feeds on YouTube or the 99.94 app. And we'll be doing that several times every week. So like, share, review, subscribe, all of that jazz. And also, if you get the chance, please do go and check out The Mitch Johnson Show, where the former Aussie Quick talks about his life and cricket. You can find it where you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Thanks for joining Cricket Conversation. 
Hi, my name is Andy Billman, and this is the Believe in the Land podcast, a weekly look back at the week that was in Cleveland sports. The highs. Oh, Guardians clap, Guardians clap. The lows. I've been asked on this channel all the time, when are you going to panic? Panic buttons been hit. And everything in between. I directed a film that came out in 2016 called Believe Land. And we love our sports here in Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you, God! Check in for weekly podcasts and so much more. What the hell was that tonight? All in, all day, every day. Go Cleveland, believe in the land.